such an honour and a privilege to just share with you guys this morning. So thanks for uh, your patience in uh, yeah, just putting up with me for the next couple of minutes. Um, how's your summer been, guys? Have we, have we kind of had a good one? Because I know that for me, I went back to work this week and it was pretty hard. It was a pretty rough first week back at work. Just it felt like it was about three weeks back at work, but it was, I think just so nice to have a little bit of a break for me over summer. I love summer. I got to the beach a little bit. And um, for me, I'm unfortunately, unlike my beautiful wife, Emily, and her sister, Mary, not blessed with the gift of melanin. I just like burn the second I like step onto the sand. I think I'm like legally albino. I just, I, the beach is not my friend, but I just still keep on going back because I love it so much. Um, and the other thing that I love about summer personally is the fruit. I love mango. Oh man, who loves mango? I am, oh man, I could eat mango all the time. I love cherries. I'll just have like a cheeky like $12 snack of cherries, you know. It's ridiculous. And watermelon. Don't even get me started on watermelon. It's like, it, it may be like any step further could almost be like idolatry how much I love watermelon. I In my heyday as a teenager, could eat a watermelon like the size of my head. It was like crazy. But it was really cool as I was kind of thinking about this, I felt God sort of saying to me how it's really interesting that with different seasons come different fruit. And I love watermelon. I love mango. I love cherries. It's been great fruit. And our church has actually been through a great season and seen some amazing fruit. No, you know, to totally due to the hard work and faith of people and also the spirit of God. And I just want to say now, there's new fruit in a new season. And I'm sure that there's going to be new seasons where, hey, we're really going to be missing summer, like really going to be missing mangoes. I love mangoes. Really going to be missing watermelon. But there's new fruit. There's going to be avocados. I love avocados. How good are avocados? I'm a millennial. I wouldn't be a millennial if I didn't love avocados. I'm talking about rhubarb. I'm talking about pears. I'm talking about apples that really need like cold winds and rain to get to like that real crisp level, that like perfect apple. Because apples like in summer are just like a ball of mush. They're like imported from somewhere else. Apples that have really gone through that season of change. And that's what makes a good apple. So I just really want to share that this morning and hopefully that is encouraging and I'm going to move on with the sermon. But I'm just, I'm just really praying and I'm believing for a season of great fruit of the Spirit. Because it's not going to look like previous seasons, but it's still going to be really, really good because God never leaves the room and God is always good. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> All right, cool. Let us just quickly pray if we can bow our heads. God, I want to thank you for your church, both here and abroad. Thank you for the Solomon boys who are just so gracious in blessing us this morning with that song. And we thank you for their salvation and them making the amazing decision to give their lives to you. I want to thank you for your word, Lord, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. I want to thank you for your word incarnate, your son Jesus, who came down and humbled himself as a man so that we could not only be redeemed by his sacrifice, but be shown by example what perfect love is to look like. Lord, I pray that you'd use my words today, that they would be your words, that anything that's not of you would just fall to the floor and wither, and anything that is of you would just blossom and grow in the hearts and minds of our church and bear great fruit. God, we welcome your Holy Spirit with open arms, and we just pray that it would be with us now as we look at your words together. Amen. 
So this month we've been looking at encounters with Jesus, um, and today we're going to be looking at the sinful woman. It's um, a really exciting one to look at because I feel like it can be one which is sort of like grazed over or blazed over a bit. Um, you know, we don't even give her a name. She's just a sinful woman. That's all she's known for. Um, but also this just immense outpouring of love onto Jesus, which is so cool. So I'm really excited to look at this today. So I want to call this sermon loving at an arm's length. And hopefully we'll just use this as an opportunity to encourage two types of people today in the church. I first want to really encourage those who are really burnt out right now and maybe just need an outpouring of love shown to them and say that it's okay to just be there, just accept love, just receive love and just be present, that that's okay. It's okay to be burnt out right now. It's okay to be hurting right now. But an outpouring of love is always coming through the Holy Spirit and through the church, the hands and feet of Jesus. The other people that I want this sermon to be for today is people who God wants in this next season of our church to extend themselves in love and stop maybe loving at an arm's length. So... I have the awesome opportunity to work at a college called Excelsior College. It's a cool college, lame name. I don't know who named it, but they decided Excelsior College was the right name for it. Um, so it's really, really interesting because I was a student there and now I work there. And as a staff member, I get to see the really interesting phenomenon of group dynamics in a college of students. And it's really interesting. There's always the people who are at the top of the pecking order and at the bottom of the pecking order. There's the people who are influential and cool and there's the people who are maybe a bit awkward, a bit on the outside, especially with drama and music kids. You get people who are sometimes a bit too quirky. But you definitely have this really interesting dynamic. And you have it in the way that the group dynamics of seeing who's at the top and the bottom of a social pecking order become very obvious very quickly when you start observing body language, when you start observing vocal patterns, the way people's entire energy shifts with different people. And despite the students at Excelsior, don't get me wrong, they are genuinely sweet and inclusive and supportive friends to one another, there is obvious favouritism. And there's an inner crowd and an outer crowd. There's people in the group they desire to be closer with and ones that they love at an arm's length. And there's this one student at Excelsior, who within about five seconds of getting to know him, you know he's one of the cool kids. Let's call him Zed. Even his moniker's kind of cool, Zed. He's a cool kid. He's kind. He's smart. He's got long, brown, flowing hair like a 70s rock star. He's fit and he's athletic. He's one of those Hollywood smile kind of guys that just, you know, projects just confidence and self-assurance. He's also a really, really great actor, which means that quite often he's brought on into older years productions. So he's kind of even working with the older kids in the, in the college that people really want to, you know, make connections with. And even they really love him. He's an influential guy. You know, he's highly influential in his year. I have once... <laughs> Unfortunately, come across a girl crying in a hallway, not because Zed was mean to her by any means, but because everyone else in their group that they'll put in for an assessment would constantly go with Zed's opinion and not hers. You know, it's sometimes infuriating when you feel underappreciated, unheard, dismissed, unseen. And it's upsetting when you know that you don't maybe have as much influence or cool stock 
you know, in your group. The people don't care as much about you because the way the kids treat some of the other students in their year is very, very different to the way that they treat Zed. So Excelsior is a Christian college and Zed is a man who just loves God passionately with his heart. He's also single if anyone's interested, but that's I digress. There's another student at the college and he's gay. You better believe that the way that students interact, treat, love him is very different to the way that they interact and treat and speak to Zed. They're not unkind or mean or rude to him, but the way that they love him is at an arm's length rather than the full embrace in which they love Zed. You know, there's a girl in their year who has mental health problems, who's infinitely less self-assured and adjusted than Zed is in their year. Truth is, she's a lot harder to love sometimes, you know. She's demanding of your time. She's emotionally draining. She's erratic, sometimes might lash out at those who are closest to her and are showing their, that love. She's not an easy person to love. Zed makes you feel great. He makes you laugh. He compliments you. He asks inquisitive questions about your life. This girl doesn't really have the energy to do any of that because she's struggling so much with her own stuff. And that makes her a bit harder to love and much less of a strain and a burden if you love her from an arm's length away. So who's the cool kid in our lives? Who's the cool kid in your life? It's different for every single person. You know, it's obviously not the same for every single person. I feel like as we get older though, and this is coming from, you know, a 27-year-old, so you can tell me to shut up. But I feel like as we get older, a lot of the time, we don't necessarily become nicer. We just become less honest. We can just become a lot better at hiding our faults and our ugly side and our selfish side. We don't say things aloud anymore. We don't maybe act on those impulses, but we still have them. And every place has a cool kid and every community has someone who's maybe loved at an arm's length. May not always be the same person for everyone, but your cool kid might be different to someone else's cool kid in a community. But if push came to shove and I had to ask you honestly, the name of the person in this church you want to impress the most, the name of the person at your work who you wish would ask you out for what you're doing for lunch, the kid at your college you wish you'd be paired up with for a group assignment, the person in your group of friends or maybe your own extended family who you wish would say, hey, let's catch up for a cup of coffee. I'm sure it wouldn't be too hard to pretty quickly think of someone. I'm sure most of us could immediately think of someone. And who's the cool kid in your life that you show favoritism to? And what would it look like if you extended the same kind of love to that outcast, the weirdo, the quirky one, the one who's harder to love in your community, to the one who's awkward, to the one who's sometimes selfish, always talking about themselves, to the one who's sometimes infuriating with their racism or their sexism or political differences or just draining with their constant negativity? You know, maybe you don't even want to be associated with this person for shame for others thinking you're somehow similar <laughs> by starting to interact with them. Somehow just as unworthy and lowly through association. We've kind of missed the point of community when we start thinking like this, haven't we? Put so much emphasis on our social capital, on where we rate on the ladder of importance in like someone else's mind. 
In the book of James, the author compels us to throw away this social hierarchy. In James 2, 1 to 4, he says, My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your building wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He goes on in 8 to 11 to say, if you really keep the law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. We often, we, we, we think of sin in absolutes, you know, like theft, murder, adultery, favoritism. What? Wait, favoritism? <laughs> you know, what? what? You're like, well, come on, I got three out of four, didn't I? I kept the important ones. I mean, it's not like I killed someone. But James writes, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, He's guilty of breaking all of it. I mean, we're still so far off from God's vision of what his kingdom is supposed to look like. And we'll always miss the mark because we are flawed. I mean, from the very beginning, sin is inwound in our DNA. And that's just a fact. We're not always going to get it right. But we should constantly be striving for better, getting closer to God's kingdom trying to extend love to those that are difficult to love and stopping loving at an arm's length. And I mean, that doesn't mean treat everyone like garbage. Obviously, love everybody. But we, it's a really good challenge. And maybe it's a good challenge for you for 2020, if you don't have one yet. So let's go back to Luke and see what we can glean from this passage. See, I love this moment in Luke because we've got this stark contrast in status. We've got Simon the Pharisee, the cool kid, and then we've got the sinful woman, the outcast, the one who most people are loving at an arm's length. You know, the Pharisee, he wears the cool clothes, he has all the answers, the way we should be living our lives. He's the influencer, the tastemaker, the cool kid of their community. He has influence, status, respect. And then on the complete other side of the spectrum, we have this sinful woman. And it says she had lived a sinful life in that town. People had already made their mind up about her because of her past, because of her reputation, you know, because of how the Pharisees, the cool kids, looked down on her. She wasn't worth their time. She wasn't offered a seat at the table. Whenever there's a stark contrast of status, it's cool to just see Jesus tear it all down. Because he just doesn't care about it. It's just not important to him. He cares about everybody being loved. He cares about the cool kid just as much as he cares about the outcast and vice versa. So what does he do? How does he address this issue? In Luke 7, 44 to 47, it says, Then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. 
Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Jesus is looking past all this pomp and all this prestige. He's looking past the cool clothes and the status and the titles. He's seeing a fully-fledged person. He's seeing someone, warts and all, created in the image of God, and he's putting an arm around them. (laughs) He's associating himself with them. He's saying, hey, I'm with you right now. People had already made their mind up about her. But he's sticking up for the outsider. Jesus doesn't love the cool kid any more than the outsider. Let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes for a second. Well, I mean, he's taken off his shoes at this point. But metaphorically, let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. So at this point... Here in the story of Luke, Jesus is hanging out with Simon the Pharisees, this influential spiritual leader and this sinful woman who has a history. I mean, the one character trait that we know about her other than her gender is that she's sinful. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you have to be pretty off the rails at some point in your life to be known as the sinful woman in town, right? It's quite a reputation to have. And... You probably have to have seen that Simon the Pharisee says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that she is. She's a sinner. I love this moment. I love this moment because it says so much about what other people think about us when we associate ourselves with those who are hard to love. So what's, what's Simon the Pharisee saying here? He's saying, if he was a prophet. Wait, what? If this man were a prophet, he would know. Okay, so what, what's Simon the Pharisee actually judging about Jesus right now? He's, he's not actually judging his relationship. or he's, Sorry, he's not, judge, he's not questioning Jesus' purity or integrity or even his character. Simon the Pharisee in this moment is judging Jesus' relationship and intimacy with the Father. He's questioning Jesus' prophetic gifting, his intimacy with the Holy Spirit, God's own son, he's questioning. And this is only due to association with this sinful woman. Because in this Pharisee's reasoning, if Jesus lets this woman touch his feet, he doesn't know God. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty huge indictment, a slanderous accusation to put on Jesus that he's not a prophet because he lets this woman touch his feet the worst, most untrue thing you could accuse him of. And yet Jesus still chooses not to be ashamed of her, not to love her at an arm's length or politely decline her expression of love. He extends love to this woman by in turn just receiving adoration from her in that moment. It's funny, you know, like so often people who need the most love can also be the ones who have the most love to give. Like when you see the lady at the park who's feeding those pigeons or the man out on the corner in the city who's asking for change with his little dog or the awkward kid at school who's she's playing with her imaginary friend. All these people who are loved at an arm's length and are giving so much love at the same time. It's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) There are so many people who would be stoked to have someone to show love Two. I mean, come on. Sometimes it's literally that simple, just being present for someone, allowing them to make you a cup of tea, tell you a joke, play a game with you. 
We are all made to be in communion and it's insane how many people out there have all this love and no one to give it to because they desire community. And love, when it's fully realized, it's reciprocated. That's why unrequited love is specified because it's outside of the norm. Love is supposed to be back and forth. It's supposed to be communal. Love is designed by a triune God to go back and forth in communion. That means sometimes you're loved on and you just embrace that and you associate yourself with that person. Now, side note, if you have someone in your life who's toxic and you need to set some really healthy boundaries with, like to actually love them at an arm's length, this is, that's a different thing. And I fully support that. Healthy boundaries in certain situations are really, really important. You know, like if you are setting a boundary in a, life, in a relationship that is unhealthy, that's not showing favoritism. In those unique cases, you're actually showing love by setting those boundaries, showing love to yourself. Because you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're putting yourself in genuine harm's way, then you're not genuinely loving yourself and you're not making yourself available to love other people. So there is obviously an asterisk to this whole idea. There are some people that is okay. And we just need to be prayerful and faithful that there will be someone else in their lives that Jesus will show love to and we can pray for that. But that's just really important. Like neighbors sometimes have fences for a reason. <laughs> there are still healthy boundaries and that's okay. I'm not saying, you know, let everyone into your house and just, you know, absolutely have no boundaries. That's really important because you need to love yourself. You need to take care of yourself as well. But man, there's so many people who we're currently loving at an arm's length that we could really love with a much more full embrace. And they're the people that I'm talking about. Love more fully and generously and stop caring what others think because there's only one judge and spoilers, it's Jesus. Like it doesn't really matter about everyone else. Inclusivity. The gospel that Jesus preaches isn't exclusive, but it's inclusive. God's very act of coming into this world through Jesus was the greatest extension of oneself. He models it so perfectly. Jesus got his feet down in the mud, caked in dirt, was spit at, defamed, tortured on a cross. He extended himself in body and spirit. He extended himself to us completely so that we may all have a place at God's table. And it's not just our responsibility, it's our privilege to create a space for someone else at God's table by no longer loving them at an arm's length. Who's someone in your life that by mere association, by putting an arm around them in solidarity, you could express overflowing love to? And you know what? Maybe you're just tired. <laughs> I, I actually really get that. I, I do. I genuinely get that. I'm not diminishing that. Maybe you really resent some punk standing up here to give more, telling you to do more, be more. Maybe right now you're just struggling to be the amount that you are. You can't be anymore. And I, I, I actually, I totally get that. I totally get that. And maybe you feel like you're already overextended. You know, maybe you feel like you're so overextended that if you extend anymore, you're going to fall over yourself and fall flat on your face. Maybe we can take a leaf out of Jesus' book here. See what he does in Luke 7. 
He just lays down at a table. He eats some food. And he sees what opportunities literally land at his feet. Like a sinful woman who was chastised by her community, who humbly comes to pour out all her perfume onto your feet. And maybe you don't need to do anything. Maybe you just need to not recoil, not admonish her, not sneer, not judge, not become exasperated by her. Just accept her, love her. Accept her into your circle at that moment. You know, we can so often overcomplicate things, but Jesus is so good at making it simple. He just loves unconditionally, without fear, without prejudice, without self-interest. He loves wholeheartedly, and that's, that's really all that it takes. The greatest of these is love. It's kind of painfully simple. Just be there in the moment. Just be available. How's that sound for some of you? Is that something that we can maybe get behind? Thanks, Ben. And for some of you, maybe overextending isn't what you're in danger of right now. For some of you. Maybe that's not the situation for you. Maybe it's the complete opposite. But before you start extending love to others the way that Jesus wants you to, Maybe you need to stop carrying around that alabaster jar in your life that's weighing you down. Maybe you're holding on to something too tightly in your life that you're not willing to let go of. But you know what? When you hold on to something that's holding you back, you can't move forward. You can't receive what God's ready to give you. And maybe what God's ready to give you once you let go of your alabaster jar, is the responsibility of someone who is hard to love. But you know, like right now, you're not ready to give up your time or maybe your money or maybe your energy or your ego. Ah, that status that we just love so much, that social hierarchy. Or maybe you're just not ready to give up that social media app that you're a little addicted to. Like maybe if you pulled that out at Jesus' feet, you might have a little bit more time for that person who's hard to love. Or maybe that shopping addiction that just makes you feel so good when you just go out and treat yourself, make yourself feel better through material possessions. Maybe if you lay that down at Jesus' feet, you might have that money that you feel like you don't have to express love to the unlovable, to the one who's hard to love, to the outcast. Maybe it's giving up that relationship that is toxic in your life. That relationship that's slowly pulling you away from your spouse or your kids or your true friends. Pulling you away from Jesus. Just pour it all out. Just pour it all out at Jesus' feet. Because I tell you what, I don't know what's in your alabaster jar. I, I don't. But... I do know that there is no way that it compares to the wholeness that Jesus gives you. I might just ask the worship team to come up if that's cool. And I just, um, I just want to quickly finish by reading 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11. It says, it says, rather, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, 
faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speak, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Probably could have saved us all like 25 minutes and just read that verse, but that's all right. It's good. It's good. Can we all just bow our heads and I'll quickly pray for us? God, thank you for your love embodied perfectly in Jesus. Thank you for your word, which shows us how to love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which continues to convict us, lead us, and nurture us. God, I want to pray for three types of people today. First are those people who need to put down their alabaster jar. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would so heavily and undeniably just impress on the hearts of those in this congregation who have an alabaster jar in their lives that they need to pour out at Jesus' feet, giving it all over to him so that they can serve him fully and completely. So for those people, I just pray whatever may be in that jar, you just bring it to the forefront of their minds right now and encourage them by your Holy Spirit to pour it all out at Jesus' feet. Reveal that to them now, Lord. Reveal it fully, making it clear for them what your will is. Secondly, I pray for those who have someone in their life they've been loving at an arm's length. God, as your word says in 1 Peter, allow them to love more deeply without grumbling, to extend themselves to that person who you're placing on their hearts right now, relying on the strength that your word promises. And thirdly, God, for those who are exhausted, burnt out, shattered emotionally physically spiritually lord won't you just soothe their souls now let them know that it's okay to lie down for a bit that it's okay to recline at a table like jesus did and just be blessed by someone else's extension of deep love poured over them create these opportunities god orchestrate them in a way that only you can Help us be consistent in walking these things out this week through the strength and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.